0: Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our What's Happening email. We send this out once a week. It's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy.
1: Here's the thing this morning I want to talk about is that there is no more powerful than the blood of Jesus, the most powerful cleaning agent ever, the blood of Christ. And that might sound a little bit weird. We're going to talk about that this morning, though. Uh, This morning, we're getting back into our study in the book of Zechariah. As I mentioned last week, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the start of a book in the Bible to the end of that book of the Bible. And, uh, And we're going to see the cleansing that is going to come to Israel in the last days through Jesus. If you remember the last time that we were in Zechariah, a few weeks back now, we were in chapter 12, and, uh, and we were introduced to a specific phrase. Does anyone remember what that phrase was that we, we uh, talked about a few weeks back? It was a, a phrase that we see 17 times in chapter 12, 13, and 14. On that day. Yeah, somebody said, on that day. 17 times we see this phrase used in the last three chapters of the book. And it's really pointing to when the events of those those chapters take place. And that day, that day, it encompasses a number of different things: the tribulation period here on Earth. It also encompasses the uh, the return, the second coming of Christ, and the establishing of His kingdom. It, instead of when you read that day, it may confuse you a little bit because you think about a day, a specific day. Think of it more about a time period. It's probably the easiest way to picture it. That day. And and last time that we were in Zechariah chapter 12, we saw how that day is going to bring a couple specific things. Chapter 12 told us about this miraculous deliverance, supernatural deliverance that will come to the nation of Israel. Then after that, it will be followed by a supernatural salvation that will come to the nation of Israel, right? If you remember, the Jews rejected Christ at their first coming or at his first coming, but we're told that at his second coming, they will receive him. In fact, this is what the, the end of Zechariah chapter 12 told us, verse 10. I have the passage for you here. It said, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And we saw when we were a few weeks ago looking at this, this passage, how this clearly, this verse clearly speaks about and prophesies about Jesus that would come. About the, the pierced one. Do you notice how it says that? They, on, they will look on me, on him whom they have pierced. Right? He was pierced, of course, his head with the crown of thorns. And then his hands and his feet were pierced with nails. His side was pierced with a spear. And then we're told here that when the house of David and Jerusalem, which really is another way of saying when Israel, the Jews... When they see Christ at his second coming, they will realize that they crucified their Messiah. And it says that they will mourn for him. They'll mourn and they'll weep and they'll turn to him for their salvation. Well, it's important that we start with that because chapter 13 continues with this whole thought. Uh, Just a a quick reminder that the verses and and the chapters that we have in the Bible, those were put there by us to help us do things like this on a Sunday morning. They say, turn to chapter 13. But it's to help us, but it was not in the original text. And so really, these last three chapters really flow together, one into another. And so even verse 1 of chapter 13 could easily have just continued right on from the end of chapter 12. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. Um, it's going to continue with this idea of, of the salvation and the blessing that's going to come to Israel. Uh, but not only to the, old, the, to the people, but actually the entire land we will see as Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. If you have a Bible, uh, grab a Bible. There's Bibles in the seats around you. You need one to follow along. It's going to make it a whole lot easier. You can also use your your phone if you want, if you've got the Bible app on your phone. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 13 this morning, if you would. Um, Easiest way to find uh, the book of Zechariah is simply uh, take that Bible and turn until you get about two-thirds of the way through. You'll get to the Gospel of Matthew. And then go backwards, and you're going to hit, before Matthew, you're going to hit a book called Malachi. And then before Malachi, you will see Zechariah. So, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats, it's likely the same one that I have. Just turn to page 799 to make it even easier. Why don't we pray first um, this morning before we look at the most powerful cleaner of all, Jesus? Well, Father, this morning I ask that you would um, teach us. I thank you for your Word. I thank you for the power of your Word. Thank you, God, that it is living and active. It says. God, it is effective to, to change us and to transform us. And I pray this morning that you would help us, God, as we dig in, as we uh, take time to learn and to grow, that, Jesus, you would teach us. And, Lord, that more than my words, it would be your word that brings impact and change this morning. We love you and we thank you. Help us this morning now, we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing that we are going to see this morning in chapter 13 is cleansing. All right, that's the first thing, cleansing. And, and the first... Part of the cleansing we're going to see is the cleansing of sin itself. So, chapter 13, verse 1 begins. On that day, okay, so here we see that phrase once again. On that day, this part of that day is specifically speaking about the return of Christ, the establishing of his kingdom. So, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So so this is happening, of course, after Israel has looked upon Jesus at his second coming. They'll see him. They'll look upon him as their Savior, as their Messiah. They'll realize that that they uh, crucified, that they pierced him on the cross. And then it says here in verse 1, it says, On that day, at that time, there will be this fountain that is opened, a fountain to cleanse them of sin and uncleanness, which would be a pretty remarkable thing if you were a Jew or anybody living 500 B.C. That's when this was written, 500 B.C., I mean, today we have got, in our houses, plumbing. You just go to your tap and turn it on. Or if you need a fountain, you just go to the button and push it, and and water comes out. But of course, in ancient days, they didn't have plumbing in their house. They didn't have water accessible like we have it, not unless you live near, you know, like a a spring or a river. Water didn't come to your home. In fact, you had to go to it. And so this would be a very remarkable thing that God's saying, I'm going to open up a fountain, a fountain to bring cleansing in your life right? Not just for physical thirst, but for spiritual cleansing. Do you know fountains can clean you? Did you know that? Did, did anyone know? I don't know how many of you tried to bathe in the water fountain at school. Any students out there? This next week when you're at school, tell them, my pastor said that you can get cleaned and washed in the fountain, so, so give it a go. You can wash in a fountain. I know that because 24 years ago um, was my stag. If you're wondering, if you're trying to figure out, well, how old is this guy? Um, I got married at 10. So <laughs> that wasn't a joke. But um, on my stag, I'm, take, I'm taking us back a little bit in time here. Uh, on my stag, I remember I, I experienced the cleaning that a fountain can bring. I, I had some friends. I was living in Vancouver at the time and was home just for a weekend. And a bunch of my friends had, had said, hey, you know, you're home for the weekend. Oh, let's go out. This was just a few weeks before I was getting married. And they, they said, we want to take you retro bowling. Remember Mayfair Lanes? Anybody here remember May- by Mayfair Mall? Chris Lodas. Nobody else remembers me. I used to bowl at Mayfair Lane. They even had pool tables. It was a popular thing to do. It's just a nothing empty, nothing now. But anyway, Mayfair Lane's bowling alley. They said, we're going to go there. We're going to do retro bowling. So go get yourself some retro clothing to wear. Okay, cool. And so another friend came and said, hey, let's go to the thrift store. And so we bought some really ugly clothes that are probably in style now. But at that point, you know, from like just these hideous old 60s clothing. And then, and then they came and they picked me up on Friday night. They go, okay, we're going to go. And um, they come to, and I come down and, oh, one of my friends had a motorhome. That's what he drove. He sold his car and he drove a motorhome around. If that tells you a little bit about my friends. <laughs> for the summer, he was like, I want to own a motorhome for the summer just to go have fun. Actually, you know what? How am I making fun of them? I drive around. <laughs> I drive around a van that's pretty much a motorhome. People, they're like, that's what you drive every day? Yeah, that's what I do. It's got like a big solar panel on it and all these other things. Anyway. Um, so I guess I'm just like my friends. Anyway, so he had bought, but it was a big motorhome, and he's like, yeah, this would be so fun to have for the summer. And so I I get, I come out, and I'm like, hey, no one else is dressed up. Oh, yeah, we're going to so-and-so's house, then we're going to get dressed there. So we go to his house, nobody changes, I discover this is my stag. Oh, okay, so I'm the only one that looks like an idiot. And then they proceeded to take me downtown and make me do all these foolish things, and they did all kinds of crazy stuff, and then as it got dark, they took me to, like, Beacon Hill Park, and they... They blindfolded me and then they tied my hands behind my back and they dumped me in the middle of the park and they said, okay, have fun. And, and then they left. And, um, and then they fortunately also, and I, someone grabs me and I'm like, and it was one of them. He's like, oh yeah, we got to take you out of here now. There's people that are starting to follow you around and it's not looking very safe. So, so they took me and then they, you know, as the night wore on, we did all other kinds of crazy stuff and um, all very PG-13, it was all good. And um, they took me to, the, the last stage, stage of the stag was, at the, um, the legislative buildings, downtown Victoria, right at the Inner Harbor. I actually have a picture. You know the street lamps that are right out front there? I have a picture for you of a street lamp. Um, that street lamp right there, I know it very well because they tied me to it. And they proceeded to, um, it's okay because remember when boxer shorts, like remember when guys, we used to wear like shorts underneath clothing? Like boxes were big and baggy. Do you know what I'm talking about? So anyway, they ripped off my clothing and left me standing there in my, they were boxer shorts, so it's okay. It's basically like wearing shorts. And I was tied to that light post right there. Um, The police came, which I was like, yes, thank you, Lord. And uh, the police show up, and they start talking to my friends, and they're like, oh, oh, it's says, oh, yeah, all good, okay, and they left. (laughs) And so there I am standing tied to this post, and they begin to pour over me spaghetti and corn syrup and all kinds of stuff all over my head, down my legs, down the underwear. They're having fun. And then they left me there, and people are walking by and kind of, ah, you know, talking to me, and I'm just sitting there, yeah, hi, you know. <laughs> anyway, finally they came back around in the motorhome. They pull back around, and, uh, and they're like, okay, we're done now, you know. And so, so they, they untie me, and they put me in the back of the motorhome. There was a tarp because they knew it was going to be dirty. I couldn't sit on anything. I'm covered in this, like, corn syrup and everything. And so I'm, like, crouching in the back, and I'm like, I got to get clean, guys. Like, I'm filthy. I can't ride for half an hour out of Victoria back home. You know, and so they're like, okay, well, you know what, there's a fountain over here. So I have a picture. You guys might know this fountain. This is right beside the legislative building. This is the Confederation fountain. So they drove around the block, and as I was crouching, the corn syrup kind of started drying a bit. As I stand up, the corn syrup's like peeling apart the, the leg hair and everything. And anyway, I bathed in that fountain. I tell you all that just to simply bring out this point. Fountains can get you clean. I've experienced it. You see, oh, there's ducks. There's ducks even in that fountain. They weren't there that night. But I w- I'm sure I'm not the first person to have bathed in that fountain either. But it worked. It got me clean. It was a little bit cold because it was like early May. But, uh, but, it, but, but that's, a fountain can clean you. That's what, the point that God's bringing out here, right? And, and he says this fountain that he's going to open up is going to cleanse Israel of their sin, even their sin of rejecting Jesus. It will cleanse them. But, and, and notice what he says it will cleanse them of. It says, It will cleanse them of sin and, what does it say in verse 1? Sin and uncleanness. Don't you kind of go, well, what's the difference? I thought, what's the difference? And so I investigated. Maybe you didn't think, but I did. And I actually found one commentator points this out. Carl Laney is his name. He points out this. He says that the two, these two Hebrew words for sin and uncleanness, two different words, taken together speak of every deviation from God's standard. In other words, God's saying this fountain will clean you of any and all sin, no matter what. doesn't matter what you've done. It'll cleanse you of all of it. You need to know this this morning. This may be future for Israel, but the fountain is open right now for you and for me. Because Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 told us that at Christ's second coming, Israel would look on him whom they pierced. Sorry, at his first coming. At his second coming, they would look. I'm confusing you because I'm confusing me. At Christ's second coming, they'll look at him and they'll see him who is pierced. He was pierced, of course, at his first coming when he hung on that cross. In fact, look at what John wrote about this in John chapter 19, verses 31 to 34. It says it was the day of preparation. And the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. Of course, we know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, two criminals. And this is what, this is the point. They've been killed. They haven't all died, though. Here's the problem. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths. The two thieves hadn't died yet by ordering that their legs be broken. If you weren't aware of how crucifixion worked, you'd get hung on a cross and, and they would nail your hands and your feet to that cross. But that wasn't actually what killed you. What killed you is that you began to suffocate because you'd be hung low and you'd have to step on that, the, your feet. You'd have to push yourself up to catch a breath. <gasps> and then you'd sink back down and you would slowly suffocate. It's, it, the, the Romans figured out the perfect way to torture somebody and humiliate them to kill them. And so, so what they would do is, if you weren't dead yet, they would break your legs so that you could no longer push up, right, to catch another, another breath. <clears throat> and so, so they, they come along, and so they say, listen, we, we, can, you, can you just speed this up? We don't want anybody hanging here on the Sabbath. We're too, we love God too much to do that. So the soldiers came, and they broke the legs of the two men that were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, which was to actually fulfill a a prophecy. One of the soldiers, however, it says, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. You guys, this is the fountain that makes us clean. I don't want to be gross, but this is the reality of it, that when they pierced his side, blood and water flowed, which was a symbol and a sign of death. It's kind of like if you've driven a car and the water and the oil mix. It's a sign that your car is dead right? You've blown a head gasket, you're probably done. And the same way, the blood and the water mixing was a sign that Jesus was dead, but it's, it's that fountain that was opened that makes us clean of any and all sin, the blood of Christ. You see, that the penalty for sin can only be paid for with blood. The scripture talks about this. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are. The price and, and the payment that you have to make is blood. Romans 3.23, it tells us that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard that God has set Nobody meets it perfectly. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how bad you are. We all fall short of it, the Bible says. All have sinned. Not most people, but all people have sinned, he says. And, and you know, that same book of the Bible, Romans chapter six, goes on to tell us this, that the wages of that sin, what's the wages? You guys know it? Is death. The price, the, the, the payment that comes for our sin, for, all, for us not being perfect. That's the standard that God set, is perfection. The, the price for that is death. But here's the beautiful thing. That verse goes on to say more. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The beautiful thing is that, that God didn't, he said, you know what, yes, you have to pay the price for that sin and it's death. But he did something for us. Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the beautiful thing. Now Romans ten nine goes on to tell us that if you you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Christ shed his blood so that we don't have to. And it's a strange thing to say, but it truly is only by the the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on that cross that we can now be made clean. And I want you to notice something as well. Notice, um, Notice that this fountain was opened at Christ's death. How long ago did Christ die? About 2,000 years ago, Christ was crucified and died for you and for me. That's when that fountain was opened. We all can have access. It's now open to all. And understand this, the order of what it, this is interesting because how, I talked about this last week. Why, Why are we in chapter 13 of Zechariah? This is a trick question. You guys are so good because it comes after chapter 12. We already did chapter 12. That's why we are now in chapter 13. And in chapter 12, here's the thing. We learned all about this supernatural deliverance. Do you remember we talked about this? Before Israel even looks upon Jesus as their Savior, God steps in and delivers them miraculously, supernaturally. In the same way, then after that, we saw how then comes their salvation. Then they look upon him whom they pierced, and they mourn, and they realize, wow, you are the Messiah. Now notice what happens, because now we hit what chapter after chapter 12 comes... 13, you guys are good. We get to 13, and what happens in 13? Then we're told about a fountain of cleansing that is opened. You need to know this. Don't think that you need to get cleaned up before you can come to Jesus. We get this so mixed up all the time. Don't, don't think that before you can ever step foot in a church, you've got to get all your ducks in a row. Nobody here has their ducks in a row, okay? None of us do. And that the point being is that this fountain is opened up after There's deliverance that came first. There's salvation that came next. And then there's the cleansing work of Jesus that takes place in our lives. That's the order of things. Don't get cleaned up. You just put your faith, you just put your hope in Him, and you just let Jesus do the cleaning work. He's the one that cleans, right? He's the one that does the work. It's not you in your own effort and in your strength with a better scrub brush. It's Jesus working from the inside out. We can't make ourselves clean. You know, Isaiah chapter 64 talks about that, that all of our righteous acts, the best efforts that we have in making ourselves right before God are like filthy rags. Only the blood of Christ can make us clean. And I want you to know this morning, his fountain has been opened up to you and to me. But not not only will he cleanse us of our sin, but even the memories of our sin. Look at verse two. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. Now, there were two great pitfalls, basically, that that Israel would continue to fall into. And that was one of idolatry, worshiping other gods and idols, the nations around them, that would cause them to do horrific things. They would oftentimes end up sacrificing their children in fires, all kinds of crazy stuff, because of the worship of these other gods, these idols that they would fall into, this idolatry. The other great pitfall that israel struggled with for their entire time as a nation was false prophets so there were idols that they would be led to and you know who led them to the idols quite often were false prophets right and the false prophets to make it worse would then tell them oh i'm hearing from god and he says it's okay that you're worshiping this other god he says it's okay that you're behaving that way. he says it's okay that you're doing all these things they would comfort them in their sin and in their idolatry and so here God promises that even the memory of their great sin of idolatry, he says, will be gone. And this speaks of a, a time in the future for Israel, and I believe ultimately as well for us, when this will ultimately be fulfilled. Our sin, will just, you know, our sin of days gone by will purely just be a distant memory. In fact, it won't even be a distant memory. It'll be gone. It'll be vanished. It'll be, it'll be like when a wife talks to their husband. You know what I'm talking about, women, right? Women, you know. Did you listen to anything I just said? It'll be very similar to that. We won't even know what sin. The memory will be gone. Totally gone. And I believe, here's the thing, it is future. But at the same way, I believe that in a kind of smaller, lesser way, God can do that work right now. Not just in the future, but God can do that work right now. I mean, don't you want to be cleansed from the stain of sin? But don't you also want to be cleansed of your memory of your sin? Right, I mean, how many of us know this? We know that we're forgiven, we know we're forgiven, but we're still haunted by the memory of that sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't, but I sure do. Right? I'm haunted by the memories. I believe God can do a healing work right here, right now. Romans chapter twelve, verse two tells us that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That God can do a work that will actually change, change, change the things that we remember. I've experienced it in my own life, images that I've seen. I've experienced it with, with regrets that I've had, or shame that I felt, or guilt that I've experienced. That I even now can even try to think about those things that I don't remember what they were now. They're gone. Once stuck in my mind, now gone. See, after we taste God's grace, his, his undeserved favor in our lives, his love and his forgiveness, 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When you taste of God's goodness, the, the shame and the pain, the, the, the haunting memories will become more and more distant. I mean, even the aftertaste of sin, You'll become repulsed by it. Ew, how did I even want to do that before? Do you know what I'm talking about? It becomes so not even appealing. That's the power of Christ's cleansing work in our lives. And I actually want to take just a brief moment right now, right here, right now in this message, to invite the Lord to do that work in our lives. Why wait? Let's do it now. And so I invite us, just if you want to close your eyes or open your hands, whatever you want to do, Lord, we come before you And Lord, I know I'm not just speaking for myself here, but all of us in this room, we've got got past memories of sin and images and guilt and shame, things that we walk with, that we carry around with us. Lord, we know you forgive us. We know that, but God, we ask that now you would do the cleansing work of even the memory of those things gone. That Jesus, you would wash us white as snow. Your word tells us in the book of Hebrews that we can even be cleansed of a guilty conscience. What a beautiful thing. And so we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, just come into this place right now. Lord, change, uh, um, erase, erase pictures from our minds. Erase shame, I pray right now, from people's minds. Erase the guilt of the past. Lord, that we, would, that we would, yes, learn from those past mistakes, but that we would not be haunted by them anymore. Do the cleansing work that you can only do. We invite you, Jesus, right now, come. Clean us. Help us, God, with the memories even. Thank you that you want to do this. It's your desire. It's your, your joy to make us clean. We receive it. We believe it. And we thank you for that now. Amen. So God wants to cleanse our sin. He wants to cleanse us of the memory of our sin. And he also, we see here, wants to cleanse us even of the source of sin. Look as verse 2 continues. He says, And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. This is kind of crazy, but what God's saying here is that there is a day that is coming when not public opinion, not not even parents, will tolerate falsehood. And lies. They won't. The the, the deceit, the falsehood, the lies, it will no longer be tolerated not just by God, but it will not even be tolerated by humanity. And and idolatry, of course, even the memory of it will be removed, but also the source. The source of this falsehood and this deceit will be removed. Think about it. You can clean the mud off of somebody, but if they go and jump back into a mud puddle, right, what's the good? And so God's saying, I'm going to even remove the source of this sin. See, God's cleansing work will extend beyond the stain of sin to remove even the source. Even here, as he said in verse 2, did you notice that? He said, even the spirit of sin and uncleanness. The spirit. So he talks about false prophets, but even the spirit behind all of it. The spirits that are behind the evil in this world. Which is such a good reminder for us to just take a moment to think about this morning. is That, that there are spirits at work behind the crazy things that we see our governments doing. Behind the craziness that we see this world getting up to, there are spiritual forces behind it. The Bible's clear. We do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, against humans. There's a spiritual force that's at work here. I want to read to you something that uh, that one preacher puts it so well. He said this. He said, On the surface, it's Republican versus Democrat. On the surface, it's liberal versus conservative. But this isn't anything new. It's not left-right. It's north-south. And so are we going to invite heaven down, or are we going to pull hell up? Because when it's all said and done, there's only two cultures, and every culture lives between those two cultures of heaven and hell. This is not about left and right. This is about good and evil. He goes on to say this, the mutilation of children, speaking about gender reassignment surgery that's taking place in children, he says it's not a left or right issue, It's a good and evil issue. Truth versus lies is not a left-right issue. It's a good and evil issue. It's north and south. It's good and evil. It's heaven and hell. I think most Christians, he kind of wraps up with this, I think most Christians need to get out of the election paradigm and get into a kingdom mindset. That's a good reminder. That's a really good reminder. We need to remember this is a spiritual battle. We're not fighting against people. There's a spirit behind it all. And when Christ returns, when Christ sets up his kingdom, he says he'll even remove that spirit of uncleanness. In fact, it'll get to the point where no one will even want to speak lies or deception or even be associated with it. Look at verse 4. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, which was simply like a, a prophet's outfit of their day. So if someone was wearing a hairy cloak, it was like, oh, they're a prophet. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, they're a police officer. How do we know? Well, they've got their, their well, they don't wear a hat, but they've got their, they got their, their outfit, right, with their badge and their, their stripes down the side and all these, right? So, so that's how we know it. So that was like a prophet's outfit. But he'll actually say this. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm no prophet. I'm a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. In other words, he'll be like, I don't want to have anything to do with this prophecy kind of stuff. I've always been a farmer since my youth. That's all I've ever done. I'm no false prophet. This is just getting to the point that the truth of God will be so paramount that they'll do anything to hide the past association at all of being associated with lies, connected to lies and prophecy that would be wrong and false, doing whatever they can to hide and deny it. In fact, verse 6 says, if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. And the idea here in the Hebrews, basically kind of from roughhousing. Oh, those wounds that you see on my body? Well, that's just from when I was tussling around with my friends. That, you know, we were, we were, you know, it was my stag, and they kind of beat me up a bit. You know, that's the kind of idea that's going on here. It, it, it was really, you see, and you might be well, the wounds. That, see, false prophets, false prophets in that day, what they would do to, to gain the attention and to gain the blessing of their God and of their idols, they would mutilate themselves. They would slash and cut themselves in their body. We know this. If you remember, um, do you remember the story in First uh, Kings nineteen about uh, Elijah and the uh, and the and the prophets of Baal and Asherah? Remember on Mount Carmel, not to be mistaken with Mount Carmel, which I thought it was as a kid. Can you imagine Mount Carmel? That would be the promised land. Anyway, um, anyway, so they're at where was I? Mount Carmel. Prophets. False prophets. Right. Okay, so, um, so these, what, what do they do? If you remember, there's these 450 prophets of Baal, 400, 400 prophets of Asherah, and, and, and Israel has been following these false prophets. They've been worshiping idols under King Ahab and Jezebel. They've been following the wrong way. And Elijah comes along, he's like, this is wrong, you guys. He's not a false prophet, he's a real prophet of God. You've got to stop this. So he says, Listen, God's God, or if these idols are your God? And so what happens? He sets up these, he says, Let's set up these two altars. And so the, the 850 false prophets have one altar with a, an ox that they sacrifice and put on it, and then they have another altar for the Lord. That they they, they take an ox and they, they sacrifice, they put it on it. And Elijah says, Listen, whatever God consumes the sacrifice, they're the God that we're gonna serve, Israel. And Israel's like, okay, deal, sounds good. And so these 850 false prophets, what do they do? They begin to shout and scream and dance remember the story is kind of funny elijah's like you maybe need to shout louder because hours they're doing this and nothing's happening perhaps he's sleeping (laughs) you know he's kind of got this little right and then and then and then they keep going and then and then they're like they start cutting themselves it says that's what they would do he's like oh perhaps he's on vacation (laughs) right your god can't hear you and and they start cutting themselves until blood began to flow it says to gain the attention to gain the blessing of the god of course what happens Nothing happens. Nothing happens except for there's such a frenzy that they knock over the altar of God. They knock the sacrifice right off it. It's a mess. And Elijah's like, okay, let's straighten this thing back up. You guys have had your day. Basically, all day they do this. Nothing happened. And he just simply sets it all back up, sacrifice back on top, and he says, and he says okay, now I want you to take somebody to dig a trench around it, and now somebody take a big pitcher, fill it up, and douse it with water. And they douse the whole thing with water. And he says, now do it again. And they douse it again with water. Oh, dude, let's do it three times. Third time's a charm. So they take another thing and they douse it again with water. It's drenched. That there's the, the water, the, 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 this pit that they dug around it is filled with water. And he just prays the most simple prayer. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't do any of this stuff to get the attention of God. He says, God, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that there's none but you. And what happens? Fire falls from heaven. Consumes not just the sacrifice, but even the wood and the stones and the water, gone, everything. Poof, just like that. We know who the real God is here. But the point being this is that they would cut and mutilate themselves. That's, what, that's what's going on here. You know what's beautiful is that we don't have to cut and mutilate ourselves, do we? To gain the attention of our God. In fact, Jesus did that for us. He was wounded so that we don't have to be. It, it's not about, you know, God loves us simply because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what you do or even what you don't do. It's purely because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And so these false prophets are saying, they won't even, they'll, they'll, they'll ask them, like, why do you got, you got the marks of a prophet on you, you just got the self-mutilation. Oh, that's just from playing around with friends. I should mention this, that some, perhaps, do you, anyone here have different translations open right now? Can somebody read for me what it says in verse 6? If you have a different translation other than the ESV that we're reading from, maybe the New Living or NIV or anyone, no one has a different translation open? I thought I heard a yeses, and now no one's saying anything. Okay, go ahead. Just shout. Just read out what it says. (laughs) Okay, I don't know. What what translation is that? Oh, okay. NIV is the same. Okay. Does anyone have the NLT? New Living? What does it say? They're all proving me wrong. Okay. Maybe a different translation. (laughs) Because I know a lot of translations actually will say these wounds in your hands. That's what some translations will say. Because the literal Hebrew, it says actually between your hands or between your arms. So I know, I think like maybe. So the footnote, so, okay. Yeah, so the wounds between your hands. So it's speaking about the body and the back. Some translations, though, actually say the wounds in your hands. And so a lot of people have kind of thought over the years, this is speaking about Jesus, right? It's the wounds in his hands. To which then, oh, where did you get these wounds? Oh, they were in the house of my friends. You've maybe heard that said before. I've heard that taught before. Um, the problem with that is that the context is all about false prophets, and it's not about Jesus. Um, and, and, and also, the literal Hebrew is that it's between the hands or the arms. So, I guess I didn't need to go there because none of your translations said that anyway. But there are some translations that do say that the wounds in your hands. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, the context, though, is about false prophets. And we're going to see, in, in, and we're actually going to see that it's in contrast to the next verse, which will not be about false prophets, but about Jesus. Uh, The key here I just want to point out is this. The truth will triumph in every sphere of life. That's the point that's kind of being spoken here. Truth, truth, truth. There won't be lies and deception and falsehood. Truth. And I want to encourage us now, before moving on to our next idea here, stand for truth. Stand for truth now. You don't have to be a jerk to stand for the truth. Okay, you don't. We're told in Scripture to speak the truth in love. But stand for truth now. I'd also say this. Be careful of false prophets. The Bible actually says that in the last days, there'll be more that will arise, right? Many will deceive. And I just want to say this. What is a false prophet? A false prophet would be someone that misleads to another idol. A false prophet would also be declared as somebody that prophesies something that doesn't take place, right? They say something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen. A false prophet would also be somebody that perhaps brings um, fear with what they speak. And I'm just going to say this. I think we saw a whole ton of false prophets rise up during COVID that spread so much fear into this world. I'm not saying COVID was fake. I've had it three times. But I'm still alive and I'm still here. And all I want to say is this, is that we need to be careful of the voices that we're listening to. Our government's hired some incredibly great, I would say some of them false prophets. This whole world was sown and and brought into this incredible spirit of fear to the point even the church had infiltrated that that we we were more afraid of what they were telling us on the news than we believed what the word of God told us. The word of God tells me that your days have been numbered by God, not by a disease. Your days have been numbered by God, not by a virus. And so I just would say that for us to be careful to be careful, to make sure you're in the truth, to be in the truth, because there are false prophets all over right now spreading lies and trying to get us to be afraid and full of fear. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but here's the thing, though. When Jesus comes again, truth will rule this world. There'll be no fake news, there'll be no lies, and no deception. There'll be a cleansing of sin, there'll be the cleansing even of the memory of it, even the source of it but how, and we'll wrap up with this, how is this cleansing possible? Well, we're going to see next is God points us for the remainder of the chapter, not to the future, but he actually now goes a little bit backwards to the past that changes the future. Look at verse seven. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? I know the answer is always Jesus, but it's not Jesus right now, okay? (laughs) It says here, declares who? The Lord of hosts. Who's the Lord of hosts? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, God, the Father. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies is what that means. So who is speaking here? God. This is God the Father. Now, who, it says this, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Who is that? Me being God the Father, this man that's, who is it? Who is he talking about? Jesus. There you go. That's right. Jesus. Yes. Jesus is always the right answer, except for when I say it's not the right answer at that time. But, uh, right, Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And, and I want us to see this here, because where was Jesus before he came to earth? heaven okay in the right hand of god the father where where was jesus after he ascended after his resurrection he ascended into heaven and where is he now at the right hand seated at the right hand of the father right this passage in fact this i'm not going to go into the details of it but it actually speaks very strongly about the deity of christ that he is god in the flesh And, and there's the way the hebrew words it. it's really interesting i hadn't realized it before but it's actually talking it says basically against the man who is my equal that's kind of what it's saying. Jesus even talked about how this is about me. Think about how in Matthew 26, verse 31, he quoted verse 7 to be a prophecy about himself the night he was arrested. He said this, Then Jesus said to them, talking to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But here's the thing, it wouldn't just be the scattering of the twelve that would take place, would it? We know this to be a greater prophecy, in fact, to speak about the scattering of the entire nation of Israel. In fact, it says here that God would turn his hand against the little ones. We know that in AD 70, less than 40 years after Christ was crucified and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, less than 40 years later, the Romans came in and and, and they, they... destroyed Jerusalem, they scattered the Jews, and the Jews remained for almost 2,000 years, scattered and kicked about, honestly, around the entire world, did they not? Until, you've heard me talk about it before, May 1948, which sets up all kinds of stuff, pretty wild, but they became a nation again. They were nationless, homeland, they had no homeland, just spread out all over the world until that time. However, here's the thing, so they were scattered at this point, when the, the sword, it talks about being struck, you know, against the shepherd, the thing is, is that for the cleansing of sin to take place, the shepherd had to be struck. It couldn't happen without Christ's death. And so, so notice as well in verse 7, who orders the sword to strike Jesus, the shepherd? Who tells us to take place? It's, it's the Father. God the Father says this needs to happen. We need to understand this this morning. Jesus was not a victim of circumstances, okay? He was not a victim of circumstances. He was not at the mercy of a political or military power. It wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus. It wasn't even the Romans that killed Jesus. Do you know who actually ordered that Jesus be killed? It was God. It was planned. It was ordained. It was orchestrated by the very will of God, prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. In fact, look at Isaiah 53, written about 500 years before Christ, talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus. It says, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants he will enjoy a long life. Why? Because he'll be resurrected for eternity. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Even Jesus in John 10, 18 said this. He said in verse, verse 18, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. That was John 10, 18. You see, Christ's death, Christ's death was God's plan all along. It was the only way to reconcile all humanity to to himself. But here's the thing. This passage tells us that because of Christ's death, because of the resurrection that he faced with the Jews, with his people, it would result in their scattering and their subsequent hand of God against them for a time which we see in Scripture, we see God saying this is going to take place, that my hand will be against the nation of Israel for a time. We live in right now what's known as the time of the Gentiles or the age of grace. Uh, it's, it's where God is working with the Gentiles, with those that are not Jews. And we're seeing incredible numbers come to faith in Christ. You see, Israel rejected Christ as their Messiah, and it resulted and has resulted in centuries and centuries and centuries of persecution against them. Think about the the Jewish War of 66 to 70 A.D., of course. That's that's when they were dispersed and first kicked out. Then there were the Crusades. The Crusades were horrible against the Jews. The Spanish Inquisition as well. Anti-Semitism just became huge. Of course, the Nazi Holocaust. About six million Jews were killed then. But here's the thing. They are still God's people. As he refers to them here as his little ones, as it says in verse 7, But because of their rejection of Christ, because they refuse to receive him as their Messiah, they're being disciplined, in a sense, for God to bring them back. It's kind of like God said here. He's turned his hand against them. It's like they are being spanked. How many of you, like if you have a little child, let's say you're at the swimming pool, and it's like, okay, I'm going to take you, I'm taking you to the promised land. We're going to McDonald's across the street. Okay, so you're at the pool, and you're like, come on, come on, and and your child, you say, you got to hold my hand, because we know crossing that highway is busy. And our child says, no, 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 I'm doing it on my own. No, I'm not doing, and, and, and no, 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 you got to hold my hand, it's not safe. No, I'm, no, I don't want to touch you, right? And they get all, you know, it's, right, and they, okay, and then you tell them, no, you, we're not crossing unless you hold my hand. No, and they refuse. And so then you have to tell them, well, listen, if you're not going to hold my hand, you're going to feel my hand. I know that's a no-no today, because I don't think you love spanking, but, um, but you, you spank, you discipline that child, say, no, you have to hold my hand. And then you take them across, and you get to the promised land, and you get to the other side, and they go, this is what it was all about. Oh, oh, I realize now the good you were trying to bring to my life. And That's kind of, in a sense, what God's speaking about here. In fact, this spanking, it's going to culminate on that day in what's known as the tribulation period. The Bible also refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Who? Israel. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. He's the father of Israel. It's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's, it's for them. Basically, God's saying, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to spank you so that you will see the good that I want to bring in your life. In fact, it's crazy. But listen, verse 8 says this. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. In fact, the book of Revelation seems to even allude that not just even for, for Israel, but all the world this will take place. In verse 9 it then tells us what happens to the third that are left alive and saved. It says, And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people and they will say, The Lord is my God. You see, through this refining, Israel will turn to God. That's what trials and hardships tend to do. How many of you have ever been through a difficult time in life? Right? And what happens? It tends to draw you to God. It tends to kind of It tends to, it basically burns away all the garbage. It talks about this this furnace, this refining of silver and gold. It burns away all the stuff that's just not necessary anymore. And and what really matters comes to the forefront. You're like, I don't care about that stuff anymore. I just got to get through this day. That's what trials and hardships do. When Andrew and I have walked through anything hard and difficult, it narrows down for us what's really important, what really matters. And maybe right now life is putting you through a refining process. Let me ask you this have you called upon the Lord have you called upon the Lord in this season of refining why because he he tells us here they will call upon me because he promises to answer in fact what he said at the end of verse 9 he tells us how he'll respond when they call he says they are my people when you call to God he'll say you're mine you're mine you're mine And this is the picture that we get from Scripture of what God is saying to us through the nation of Israel. You know what God's saying? He's saying, I'm not giving up on you. God's not done with the nation of Israel, and He's not done with you. Though you may be walking through refining, He's not done with you. He's going to refine you like silver and gold are refined, like like they're tested in the fires of tribulation. But here's the thing. He is going to see you through. In fact, to one day be able to say, then the Lord is my God. Do you see the point of it? They'll cry out, He says and he'll say yeah i'm going to answer because you're my people and which will result then in us saying okay god you're my lord this morning as we close and transition to communion you know this is really what the table represents for us we have bread freshly baked bread might i add by dana sorry to those of you that are gluten free but we do have some rice crackers as well for you um but this is what this is what the table represents Bread and and juice, it's not magical stuff, it's not anything special, it's just bread and juice. But what it symbolizes, what it's a picture of is is of that cleansing that can only take place through the shepherd, through Jesus laying down his life. The fountain that has been opened 2,000 years ago for all to be cleansed, for all to be forgiven. And the bread, the bread is just simply, it's a picture of his body. His body that was beaten and bruised, everything that he went through for us, it's how we remember the suffering that he took upon himself in our place. And then the juice is just simply another symbol again. The juice just simply represents the blood that he shed in our place so that we don't have to go through that same shedding of blood. See, in Christ, there's forgiveness of sin, there's freedom from guilt, there's freedom from shame. It can all be gone. There are new starts in Jesus. I love to think of it this way. You know what? In Jesus, there's like unending do-overs. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us that. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can have a new start in Jesus every day, a fresh do-over. And, you know, communion is something that we do as believers, as followers of Christ, that we remember his death and his resurrection, that he's coming again. So you don't need to feel pressure today. If you're here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus, yet, that's that's totally fine. You can just, we're going to receive it from the front. We're going to have people up front and you can just stay in your seat. It's totally fine. But I also want to give you the opportunity that if you want to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, you can do that today. And you can come and you can receive communion as well just to remember the work that Jesus Christ did for us. Can we just pray as the team that's coming to serve this morning, if they would just mind coming up to the front that are going to be serving the emblems. you have the bread as well thanks I just want to pray Uh, why don't you guys yeah I want to pray uh, just as we prepare our hearts this morning and I want to give you an opportunity if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus you can do that here right now father I thank you for your work that you did that you opened up a cleansing fountain Lord I, I think of that fountain that I washed in to try to get that that corn syrup off my body all those years ago it didn't totally work it kind of did but, Lord, I thank you that, that your blood that was shed for us, the fountain that you have opened, does work. That there is truly no more powerful cleaning agent, that, God, it can cleanse us. can cleanse us of the sin, can cleanse us of the memory even of that sin, can even cleanse us of the source of that sin. And, Father, this morning, I just pray that whether they be joining us online or whether in-house today, that if there's anybody that does not know you, that is not, that is not walking with you, that hasn't put their faith and their trust in you, Lord, that today would be the day where they say, I I realize, I realize that I've got mistakes and issues that I have not been perfect. I realize that I need somebody to pay the price for my sin because the wage of that sin is death. And I now understand, I don't understand everything, I don't even have it all figured out, but I do know this, that you love me so much, God, that you came and you gave your life in my place so that I could have forgiveness and life in you. And I pray, God, for anybody this morning that just wants to take that faith step, that they would put their hope and their trust in you, that they would feel welcomed to come this morning to receive, to come to remember the work that you did. And maybe this is the first day of their (laughs) do-over. This is their first time. Lord, I thank you that you come day after day with fresh starts, with newness in our life. And so, Lord, just... Uh, minister to those people this morning that would maybe be joining us online or here in-house. That they would know that it's about faith in you. It's not about anything magical or special. Just simply trust in you, Jesus. And Lord, for the rest of us that are here, Lord, I ask that you would remind us again, Lord, if there's things that we need to be cleansed of, I pray that as we come forward this morning, God, that, that we would understand that that work is deep. That it will cleanse us. It will remove from us whatever it is that that we've gotten muddy in and messed up in, even this past week, this past day, that it's powerful enough. And so as the worship team also comes forward this time, we're going we're gonna to transition to communion, but I just want to uh, I just this morning give you that opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, this can be your day. And part of that faith step for you can just simply be saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to receive this communion this morning. As the team leads us in a song, just feel free. Just take time right now and just allow the Lord to speak to you. Maybe there's things that you want to present to him this morning about stains of the past that you need to be cleansed of. uh, That you would just allow him time to minister. And as you feel ready, just come and receive the emblems and then you can take them back to your seat uh, and then I will lead us together in communion. So you can just take them back and wait. Um, and then I'll lead us together. So, why don't we? Um, why don't we? Why don't we stand, just before the Lord, as we prepare to, to close this morning.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.